This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast, episode number 62. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hello and Happy New Year. Today we're going to cover some of the top financial questions asked by Canadians, including the number one question, which is, am I saving enough for retirement? Now, the way we came up with these questions is that, as you may know, the fee-for-service financial planner that I use is John Kalos. And on my site, I have a page where you can sign up for a free 30-minute consultation with him. And so lots of listeners of the show have met with John for free to get their questions answered. And what he then did is he took the ones that were being asked the most often, and we decided to do this episode on them so that everybody can benefit from them. Now, one of the top questions was, am I saving enough for retirement? But he also addressed some other questions like, what investments should I be buying for each account? And how much should I be buying of each? So definitely enjoy the episode and definitely feel free to ask him your own questions one-on-one by going over to buildwealthcanada.ca slash John. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash John, just J-O-H-N. And there, when you sign up through that page, I've also set it up so that you'll be automatically emailed a guide that I made on the top questions to ask your financial planner. And so this can help you whether you're looking for a new financial planner or to test out your existing financial planner to make sure that there is no conflict of interest and that they really are as competent as they claim to be or as competent as you hope that they are. Uh, so that link again is buildwealthcanada.ca slash John. Uh, it's all free, so definitely enjoy that. And it is something that he's uh, made available on an ongoing basis. So even if you are listening to the show years from now, you can still go there and you can still get some of your top questions answered privately and for free. And now before we dive in, a quick message from one of the show sponsors. We do have a new sponsor on this show that I had a really good experience with, and it's a service that lets you check and monitor your credit score for free. So my question to you is, do you actually know your credit score? So we all know that checking your credit score can be a pretty nerve-wracking process as it's an important indicator of your overall credit health. And this is precisely why checking your credit score is so important. So your credit score might actually end up being a deciding factor in whether you'll be approved for a personal loan, a car loan, or a mortgage. And having a good credit score will make it easier to do all those things. Now, knowing your credit score is really the first step to understanding and improving it. And with Borwell, you can actually get your Equifax credit score for free. In under three minutes, you'll actually be able to access your credit score and your full credit report. And it is absolutely free, which is fantastic. So I've personally gone through Borowell to check my credit score and it was so much easier and faster than how I used to check my credit score. So obviously checking your credit score periodically is important, even if you aren't looking for a loan because there's things like identity theft happening all the time and companies getting hacked where your credit card information may get stolen, things like that. And so you really do want to make sure that there's nobody out there that has stolen your information and is now basically wrecking havoc on your credit score, making it really difficult for you to get things like a mortgage or a loan or making it so that the rates that you are getting on these loans are much higher than what you could get if your credit score was a lot better. What I really liked about Borowell was that, well, one, it was all free and two, it was really fast because it's all online. So I just put it in my information and I got my credit score right away and I got the full report and I got to see the breakdown and all of that. And I could very quickly verify to make sure that everything on my credit score is actually accurate and so that there wasn't any sort of identity theft or you know anything like that that taking place. 
So Borwell is 100% a Canadian company. I definitely suggest you check them out as why wouldn't you want to make sure that nobody is tampering with your financial accounts while at the same time improving your credit score to get better rates. So uh, yeah, definitely check them out. It's over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash score. So just S-C-O-R-E. If you go there, it will basically take you to their page and you'll be able to get your credit score for free. So that's buildwealthcanada.ca slash score. Now, as usual, I want to give a big thanks to EQ Bank for sponsoring the show. I'm definitely still offering out my guide for free on the top ETFs in Canada for anybody that opens up a free account with them using my link. And I'll be offering this pretty much indefinitely and I'll be updating the guide every single year. So even if you know, you're listening to this years from now, you can still sign up and I will give you the latest guide for that particular year. Now, I've been using them four years, even before they became a sponsor of the show. And the main reason is that they have one of the highest interest savings rates in Canada. They are currently offering 2.3%, which is more than double what the major banks are offering. It's also free to sign up and keep an account with them so you're not paying a monthly fee like you do with many of the other banks out there. And you also get unlimited transactions, unlimited interact e-transfers, and you can take out your money at any time if you need it. There's no minimum balances or anything like that. And so because of those reasons, I've been with them ever since they launched in Canada years ago, and it's where I keep my entire emergency fund and spending money as well, and pretty much the safety portion of my portfolio. So basically, just about everything of mine that isn't being invested in ETFs goes directly into my EQ Bank account to earn me that high interest. So to get the free high interest account and the free guide on the top ETFs in Canada, just go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash EQ. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash the letter E and the letter Q. Open the free account and once you're done, forward any email that you get from EQ to bonus at buildwealthcanada.ca and I'll send you the full comprehensive guide for free. So that link again is buildwealthcanada.ca slash EQ to open an account, then forward me any email from EQ to bonus at buildwealthcanada.ca and I'll email you the free in-depth guide. You do have to use that link, that buildwealthcanada.ca slash EQ link in order to get the bonus. All right, so enjoy. Thank you so much for supporting that show in that way. And now let's get into the episode. All right, John, great to have you back. How are you? Very well, Cornell, yourself. Great, great, thanks. So let's get right into it. A lot of questions have come your way. There's obviously a lot of recurring questions that yeah. you get. And so let's let's start tackling some of them. What are, what are What is one of the top ones that you do get asked? Okay, so um, I would say by far the, the uh, question that I hear most often is, am I saving enough? And so you can imagine that could create some kind of stress during someone's uh, during someone's life, life right? So um, if you're not if you're not sure if you are saving enough, and if you don't have something that shows you whether you're saving enough or not, well then you, you get a little stressed out when you want to make any kind of purchase, right? So um, you know we'll take a, a, a we may want to plan a vacation that'll cost you know whatever five ten thousand dollars or what or whatever and we're always sort of you know in the back of our mind is am I doing the right thing am I you know should I be doing this how is this going to affect can I continue spending like this or not am I taking it too far so these are this is a concern that most people have and um, basically what what the answer to that question is it's it's difficult to to figure out if you're you know, if you are saving enough, if you haven't defined what your goals are in the future, but also if you don't have, if you don't have something that's showing you exactly what you need to save on a 
regular basis and what rate of return you need to earn on a regular basis to, to achieve whatever goals you have. Well, it's difficult to figure out if you save. So a financial plan will show you exactly how much money you need to save. But what comes, what I've heard, and this is going back many years, what I've heard from my clients over whatever, 25 years now, um, is basically when they figure out what what it takes to to accomplish their goals, and and it, and and usually it's not as as bad as they as they think it may be. So it's not as much as they think it may be. But what typically people get is what I like to call guilt free spending. So if you know that you've that you've saved enough money for your for your for your you know annual contribution towards your retirement, for example. Well, then you know everything else that you have, you can spend it. And and when and when I tell that to people, they're sort of taken aback because our it just pretends to tell people you have to save and save and save and continue doing it. And, you know, the government pensions won't be there when you're, when, when you retire and stuff like that. And I've been hearing that for 30 years and guess what? Like the government pensions are still there. And so that's, you know, hogwash. And, and so but it gives people the liberty to say, yes, I can, you know, do what I want or I can purchase this or I can renovate my basement and have that home theater or whatever versus I'm not sure what to do. So the term that I like to use is guilt-free spending and people sort of get a relief and then they're clear also. So, you know, if they say, for example, we need $30,000 for this, well then you're, you know, you're going to ask yourself, all right, so can I afford this? If I can't, and let's say, you know, this will set me back for a couple of years when it comes to saving. Well, then people will have a choice to say, all right, what's more important for me right now? Is it me retiring 10 years from now or is it to do in my cottage, for example, or my basement or whatever. And so you, clearly you can say, you know, to your spouse, for example, uh, this is not happening because it's just not happening. We can't, we don't have enough money or it's not in our budget. Or yes, it is happening because, you know, we know we, we save that much. We know we can save as much as we need to for retirement purposes. And let's go ahead and do it. So it that's, I think that's been the biggest stress people have. And they've sort of communicated to me over the years. And this is something that uh, is again taken off their shoulders once they know exactly what they need to do mm-hmm. and it's rocket science and usually it's not as much as people think how much they need to save typically i've seen people uh, where they've asked me that question and i've turned around and i've told them i think you're saving too much and yeah, i mean again what a relief that 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 sort of brings to people mm-hmm. so it sounds like to summarize it sounds like the answer well when someone asks am i saving enough to retire or am I saving too much? I mean, I've gotten this question too from people and it's almost like, you know, they they, they ask this and then they just expect you to give, some people will expect an answer like a, you know, like a, oh, oh, well, yeah, it has to be this much without you knowing anything about yeah. them. Um, yeah. You know, which isn't, I mean, if you want a good answer, <laughs> you can't just tell someone an answer uh, without knowing anything about their background. Uh, so it right. sounds like from what you're saying, if someone wants to know, am I saving enough or am I saving too much? Really, if you want an accurate answer, uh, then you actually do need some sort of a financial plan because you do need to look at several different variables. And I know you use a financial planning software where you plug in those variables and then you mm-hmm. can say, okay, here are kind of the different options to make sure you're saving enough based exactly. on your goals, uh, that kind of a thing. And I think a really good example is like the whole early retirement versus traditional retirement, right? Is So right, if someone right. says, well, am I saving enough? Well, are you happy retiring at 65 
or are you trying to retire at 40, right? Because obviously, if you're trying to retire at 40, then you need to save a lot more now than you right. are if you're okay working until 65. And so right. that's why, you know, I've sometimes people get annoyed. They're like, oh, Cornell always says it depends. <laughs> it's like, well, what, you know, what, a if, if, what a boring answer. It depends. I know, but it's like, if you're, if you're going Ooh. to retire at 40, then that means you yeah. have to accumulate all that money, you know, before then versus yeah. that's very different than if you have, you know, another 25 years, let's say until you're 65, th- right. then you have a lot more time and so you can spend a lot more now but just realize you're going to have to work a bit you're going to have to work a fair bit more exactly and you know what there's some there's some rules of thumb okay which i never considered because everybody's different and everybody's family is different everybody's lifestyle is different but you know sometimes i see uh, like an article saying you need uh, two million dollars to you know if you want to retire comfortably right Again, garbage, because what's comfortable to you might not be comfortable to someone else. And if somebody is living like, you know, let's say frugally, um, they're not going to need as much money. It all depends. You know, a a rule of thumb says you need 70% of of the money that you were making when you were working to, you know, continue the same lifestyle. Well, again, where do we get that? What if somebody wants to travel a lot when they retire? They they might need more money than when they were working or, you know, uh, but typically your expenses tend to go down. Kids are quote unquote out of the house and you've paid the house. But these are, again, our generalities. And I think it's just it's not a good idea to say, you know, this is what I've heard as what you need and let's strive for that. And then, you know, as I said, many people save too much money and they end up being um, what I like to say, the, you know, the richest person in the retirement home and, and you know, right. take it with you. So when I'm telling clients, um, you know, go ahead and spend, they're like, what? <laughs> I, like they've never heard that, you know, concept of go ahead and spend because you have the money. Um, but, uh, but like you said, it all depends on what, what goals people have. And, and uh, another important aspect is um, like what a financial plan will do for you. It'll clarify if your goals are realistic or not. But I, I, and having said that, there's always a solution, okay, when things, if we see during the financial planning process that things are not going to work out for the way they're, you know, they're, they've envisioned things, there's always solutions that, that are out there that will make things work, all right? And I'm not saying, you know, magically we'll find some investments that are going to earn, you know, a crazy return. And But I'm just saying there's ways to sort of massage what your goals are that makes things work. And I'll give you an example. This is interesting. And some people will say, like, I need, uh, typically what I hear is we, we think we'll need about $5,000 a month after taxes to have a good life once the mortgage is paid and the kids are gone. Um, and so that's a decent, I think that's a decent sum of money. Uh, you know, 5,000 after taxes is pretty, it, I think is a pretty good lifestyle. For sure. Standard at least, okay? But then, so, and, and if we see that that's not going to work for certain people, you know what we say then? Well, I'll say, well, you know what? Maybe for the first 15 or 20 years of your retirement, let's say you'll use $5,000 because you'll be vacationing more. But then when you reach your mid-70s, for example, let's just assume that since we can't do it forever, let's say at age 75, you know what? I'll reduce my lifestyle because, I won't have as much energy to travel or, you know, it's just, it, it can't happen. Um, so we're able to sort of figure things out or we'll say, we'll stretch it a little bit and say, you know what, if you retire a couple of years later and instead of 5,000, we're looking at 4,500 a month, there's just ways of making things work out and things are not as drastic as my, as some people, you know, may believe they are. So there's always solutions, but you know, and, and I've rarely seen I've rarely seen anyone come into uh, my office or, or have a conversation with very unrealistic 
uh, expectations. So I, it seems like people's expectations are, you know, they're they're reasonable, and um, and it's quite interesting to see how many times that I, you know, I'll tell people, yeah, this is going to work, and it was vague before they actually went through the process. They, they weren't sure. And it really, it's, it's a stress buster. Let's face it. When you know you have X amount of dollars that you have to save here, and as long as, and whether they're good markets or bad, as long as we're reviewing the plan on a regular basis and we're performing what I like to call tweaks or like sort of taking the static out of the radio type of thing. If anybody knows what AM radio is, um, uh, and so when we're, we're tuning things a little bit on an annual basis or on a semi-annual basis or whenever there's life changes, it's not rocket science and it's not hard to get, get things accomplished. Mm-hmm. And in the software that you use where you model everything out, I assume a common part of your process is you do run the different sort of scenarios, right? Like I know the software that I use, you can kind of, you put in the put in the variables and okay if things go this way here's how things are going to look in terms of mm-hmm. you know finances but then you kind of can add different scenarios like if there's a 2008 crash type crash next year yeah. here's how that's going to impact it if we decide to work a few years more here's how that's going to impact it if we yeah. you know decide to go down to being a single income family like do you when you do your in your software do you do those kinds of sort of simulations as well just to see okay what are the different options and and what yeah yeah know, yeah 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 well uh, certainly uh, there's look the possibilities are endless or the different the different uh, choices are endless whether you want to work a couple of years longer or maybe reduce your, you know, exposure because you're getting closer. So there's, there's, I mean, again, it's really, it's, uh, it's unlimited the amount of solutions. But what tends to happen is in life, right, things sort of blindside us sometimes and we weren't expecting something. So what ends up happening is I'll say to people, whenever there is any kind of life change that we haven't anticipated, and you know what, we're not going to anticipate, we're not even going to come close to anticipate everything. Things are going to you know, hit us on the side where we had no clue that, you know, that this was coming. So what we do is at that point when something is happening, that's when we get back on, you know, into a meeting and say, all right, how is this going to impact us? And what do we need to do? What kind of do we need to make? Whether it's to our savings or whether it's to our expectations, then, you know, um, as, as things come, that's when we need to be, we need to be reviewing uh, what alternatives there are based on the new circumstances. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, and it's surprising. And this is, this, maybe this leads, will lead me into another question that people have. Um, and, 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 or a comment that I've heard from people is that, um, they might go to their, to their financial advisor or to a bank, for example, uh, at, at the beginning of a relationship with a financial planner and the financial planner may suggest, you know, let's do a financial plan. And what ends up happening is they may do a plan, you know, it's, it's 50, 50, you'll either be offered a plan or you won't. It's, it's, it's somewhere in the middle based on my experience again. And well, when you do get offered a plan, what happens is the financial plan will do a plan for you. Let's just say that the incentive to do a financial plan is not great because they don't get paid to do a financial plan. So the incentive is let's try to bring in the client with the financial plan, but then the financial planning process the window and it's never reviewed again all right and so a comment that i hear from clients are you know i've 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 never had a plan done for me and i'm just reading here my advisor did a plan for me years ago but we never reviewed it and that's that's something to me um is is 
is not right, <laughs> needless to say, or maybe that's an understatement, but I think the most important aspect of doing a financial plan is to do the follow-up because life changes. Uh, markets change, interest rates change, people get married, people get divorced, there's a loss in the family, there's unexpected expenses, my, my child is a brain and they're going to Harvard, holy crap, what do I do? So whenever there's any kind of life changes, needs, uh, changes like this need to be done on the financial plan, and that's rarely done in the industry. It's unfortunate and because, to me, that's the most important aspect uh, or the most important uh, thing that needs to be done is to review the plan on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to do it every six months. And, and, and uh, I just, I'll give you an example. Yesterday I was with a client. Uh, relatively young couple, uh, professional. One is a professional. One is actually not. Uh, will be losing their job in a, in a couple of months, and they're looking for. They're going to start looking for a new job. So, needless to say, that changes things, right? They were planning on having children starting this year, and 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 so any kind of life situation like that, everything needs to be reviewed. So, what I did is I take my laptop. I I went over and we went through the numbers again, and we went through you know field by field, all right, so how do we anticipate that this will change your savings habit at least for the next two or three years? Um, they had water damage. There was some fierce rainstorms here in Montreal um, maybe three or four weeks ago, and they had some serious water damage, and their insurance company is not going to cover it all. Where were you expecting that, right? I mean, these are the unexpected that come along that, that forces you, and you must review your financial plan and again as long as you put the facts on the table nothing is terribly complicated as long as we're reviewing things on a regular basis um it's hard a, a line that i use is it's hard to screw up mm -hmm. uh, but so these are just some basics that need to be sort of you know taken care of and looked at um and unfortunately they're not done uh, as much as they should be in the industry for sure yeah you definitely want to make sure you're updating the plan with all these latest variables with, with the latest numbers right it's like why would right. you go ahead with a plan where the variables are three years old for example right i Correct. mean things are so and one thing that comes to mind as well just because recently we had the elections right yeah. and yeah. so you know you talked about changes like someone loses their job or someone gets an illness you know or there, i mean there's so many different things or they have kids right. or they buy a house you know, we'll, never, we'll never be able to name them all you know right so <laughs> yeah 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 but these you know these monumental changes that totally change your finances and so that's why it's good to go review the plan and make sure that you're you put in these new inputs because they're yeah. going to have a huge effect you know they could have a huge effect on your taxes and all that you know elections came to mind uh, when you were talking there right because he, here's another thing right if your plan is like a year or two old well we just had the elections there's going to be changes there, there always are and there are changes to taxation you know things of that nature uh like, right. like one that comes to mind is canada child benefit right so i mean right. there was a time where that didn't exist and all of a sudden right. if you're now getting extra money from the government because you have children well that can change things substantially for you Right, I I remember mm -hmm. reading some of the platforms before the election, and they had like the NDP was uh, wanted to increase the the taxes that you would pay on capital gains, for example, mm -hmm. right, and the non registered accounts. So I mean, that's huge, right? Because if you're now yeah, if you're if they did get elected, and if you did have you know if you're you're taking taking on capital gains and your non registered accounts, and all of a sudden you're getting taxed a, a lot more, like from fifty to seventy five, that's a pretty big increase. Right, that's right. obviously going to impact the entire plan and the entire financial model that you. Have have set out so i think that's kind of the other thing right is, is, is so for sure there's things that happen in your life specifically 
on kind of a micro level, but on a sort of macroeconomic government policy level, those things can have such a huge impact on everything, even just changes in tax rates, changes in personal exemption. I mean, unfortunately, like the software that you use, the one that I use, they they always stay, you know stay up to date with these different taxation yeah. things, yeah. right? So you're, yeah. you're so right. You're so right. And and this is incredibly important what you're saying. And some of these changes will can really impact people in incredible ways. In the 90s, up until the mid 90s, at least, and nobody probably remembers. That's how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> the Canadians used to have was capital gains exemption up until up to a hundred thousand dollars. So if you were making capital gains, so you're buying shares and you sold the share and you made gains, that you weren't taxed up until your first hundred thousand dollars of capital gains. And that rule went out the window and it changed everything, right? And twenty years ago, a hundred grand was a lot more valuable than it is now. So that really changed the landscape. Uh, something that really changed as of this year that many people don't know about because, well, it, it really affected business owners is the way business owners are taxed on the investments that they have in their corporation. And there, uh, once you, if you reach a certain level of income that your investments are generating in your corporation. So, you know, there's a successful business owner, for example, who's saving whatever, $50,000 a year. There's money in the corporation. And we tend to say it's a good idea to keep money in your corporation and, and, you know, have your saving strategies in your corporation when you're a business owner. Well, when you reach a certain level of income that those investments are generating, your taxes are going through the roof. You're losing quite a few tax incentives. And the business community over the past couple of years was sort of up in arms. And they were they had some other changes that they were going to implement as well. And then they you know the government sort of you know went back on those because they were too draconian. And uh, so just, that's just an example that's happening today. And we're finding now different solutions that are available. Or how do we how do we live with the new rules right now? What solutions are there for these new rules? And so certainly all these things have to be examined. And that's why the landscape is always changing, always changing. And that's why you need to be up to date and you need to review your situation on a regular basis. Point final. I mean, uh, if you're not going to do that, don't spend the money to hire someone to do a, a real financial plan for you. It'll be a waste of money if you're not reviewing it on a regular basis. So if, if we're seeking financial planners out there, make sure you, 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 I wouldn't even ask the question if they do that, make sure that, you know, any planner who, who wants to work with you will mention that this is one of the most important aspects. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, you shouldn't have to mention it to you. Your planner should be mentioning it to you. For, yeah, yeah, definitely. Just just to see that they're actually being proactive and that they're looking at these things as opposed to that's saying, the most important yeah. thing. That's the most important thing. Yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah, I definitely don't envy the, uh, the the financial planning software companies that you know that you and I use uh, for this, right? Like, that like for financial planners because I mean that it's like I'm a DIY investor, right? A lot of listeners of the show, you know, of of the showers are DIY investors, you know. But that's when it comes to taxation. I mean, that's one thing that's really hard it's so hard to account for everything in a spreadsheet right i mean that's right. why these these softwares that you and i use uh, exist right so that you can change the variables and that they're updated every year because yeah the elections don't happen every year but changes to taxes happen every year right and so right. you have to make sure that that's all now factored into the plan and, and i'm yeah. glad that they yeah. do it and i don't envy them because i mean it's just it's so complicated in terms of you know the the kind of intricacies of of all that you know what i mean that's and, right like that's to right. be able to to always be monitoring 
the tax code and adjusting this, right. you know, this calculations accordingly. I mean, that's, uh, I'm glad these companies exist because I mean, yeah. <laughs> trying to account for all that. And I mean, I mean, I'm a spreadsheet guy, but even that's where I have to, I have to draw the line, right? Because there's just, yeah. it's there's so much of it. Yeah, but I'll say something else though, Cornell, which is very important, all right? And spreadsheets and numbers and what have you, right? But just let's remember another aspect, which is the human element. And what I mean by that is, I'll give you, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll work in, I'll, I'll mention an example where this it took place just a few nights ago. Um, it's not only the numbers, right? It's the heart. Example, numbers will tell you that if you're paying 3% for your mortgage and you have money that you can pay off your mortgage if you'd like, many people will say, well, you know what? Instead of paying off the mortgage, if you're able to earn on the money that you have in your bank more than the 3% that you're paying after taxes, if your net return after taxes is more than 3%, the numbers say that you should forget about paying off your mortgage and make your investments, right? Right. Only one aspect, and that's that's the that's optional. Let's say Canadians don't like debt, and I think it's a good idea that Canadians pay their debt. Because another question that you should be asking yourself is how how um, how certain is my income? If I'm in a position where I lose my income and I and and I've I've decided to sort of invest my money instead of paying my mortgage, and the markets have gone down, and I lose my job. I mean, now you're in the bind, right? So if you can't afford the monthly payments of the mortgage, if there's a, or if you run into a situation where you can't afford that, then that, that comes into play. So all I'm saying is that it's not, we shouldn't be only looking at the numbers, but we should be looking at family dynamics. We should be looking at, you know, the have my dad, I think I may have used this example before, but my dad, if he sees his money drop by, 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 by a dollar, he panics. So net, needless to say, there's no markets for him, and he doesn't need it, and he realizes it. And so, you know, forget it. Why would I want to disturb someone's well-being, uh, you know, by doing something like that to them? On the other hand, many people choose to go into the markets or choose not to go into the markets based on certain perceptions that they have. And so an education is incredibly important to know what the best case and worst case scenarios are for any type of plan that we create. So, you know, let's. some people might, anticipate, might not anticipate that markets can go down for two years. And many people these days have the impression that, oh, if the markets go down, you know, I'll just ride it out and stuff like that. And we've seen little, small little hiccups over the past couple of years, which are nothing compared to a real correction. And markets went down, I think, in December by maybe 15% at a certain point. And they came right back up a month later. And people said, yeah, well, you see, I was able to ride out that correction. That wasn't a correction, guys. That was a sneeze. That was I don't even remember it. I didn't even incorporate it in my conversations or anything. That wasn't a correction. Corrections could be extremely painful. And when the market's 20, 25% or 30% and you're hearing on the news that, hey, everybody, this time it's different. This is a different scenario that we've never seen before. People start to panic. And I've had that. I've seen that in, in you know, 10, 10, 12 years ago. And so just to say that it's not only the numbers that should dictate our actions, it's taking a few other issues or taking a few other points into account that are that are quite important as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just to clarify, what you're with your one example about paying off the mortgage versus investing, you're not saying that investing instead of mortgage is always better, or putting money into the mortgage 
and, and not investing is always better. You're not saying one is always better than the other. What you're right. saying is you have just have to look more holistically. So yes, the math says you'd be better off taking that money and going, let's say, all equities with it yeah. because yeah. historically you would have earned a much higher return. So that's right. what the math says. But then there's other components like you know, like job stability. Maybe you have a variable rate mortgage, and if the rates go up now, that's going to take cash flow out of your money. Uh, you know, that's going to take a hit on your monthly cash flow every month. And so maybe now you're going to be struggling a little bit. Maybe you know, so that kind of a thing. Maybe you can handle psychologically if yes, you put it all into equities because you'll earn a higher return. But then we have a big correction, and now you're you know you're seeing your more. And then and then let's say the interest rates you know change or something, and they go yeah. they, they go higher or whatever the case may be and then all of a sudden okay now I'm paying more for the mortgage also the markets aren't doing that well but I'm, you know and I'm still paying all that debt I, I mean it can get it can get pretty so you're just saying you have to look at it a bit more broadly as opposed to let's optimize for just returns because exactly. maybe there's other parts in your life that can you know that can kind of skew the answer a totally different way Correct. And you know what? There are certain things that will happen that we don't anticipate. Right? So, like, imagine if, for example, you let's let's face it, right? Canadians are stretched when it comes to debt right now. And if someone has a, a, a half a million dollar mortgage, right, and interest rates go up by 1%, which would make them still incredibly low historically. But imagine if you're paying, you know, you have half a million dollars and your interest rates go up by 1%. That's $5,000 of interest a year. That's what? $400 of more of payment a month potentially. And so imagine if that happens and paying and you're paying, uh, you know, $400 more a month on your mortgage. And then you're hearing interest rates may go up further because of such and such reason. And then companies are laying off people. And so we're getting into a recession and say, so imagine how you're feeling if, if circumstances like that, you know, come up and it creates stress. So some people can live more with that and some people can't. All I'm saying is that let's not only rely on numbers. There's a whole bunch of other angles that we need to be looking at, whether it's paying off your mortgage or investing in the markets or not, um, than, than, uh, than, than, than just the numbers. And I'll say one more quick example about that is um, I've, I've, I've had people coming in with a certain expectation for their retirement and they have a certain amount of savings and they come in with an aggressive portfolio and they're in their, let's say, mid-40s or early 50s, right? And they're 70, 75% in equity. And after an analysis, we've noticed that all they really need to do to earn or to, 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 to get to what they're looking for when it comes to retirement is earn a 4% return. So I'm telling you now, well, you know what the truth is? You don't need to accept so much risk to meet your goals. So, and so many people will say, oh, really? I wasn't aware of that. And that, you know, that comes back to the reviewing your financial plan. And we've had some pretty good years with the equity market. So right now you don't necessarily have to take so much risk. And so, and so these are types of, you know, things that you should be looking at. You can say, yeah, I can accept the volatility, but the truth is, again, if we run into a 2007, 2008 scenario um, where all of a sudden, you know, your equity has gone down by 30% because 80% of your portfolio was in stocks, well, then everything gets screwed up, right? So there's more than just the numbers that we need to look at. For sure. So what's another uh, top common question that you've, you've been getting asked, John? All right. Okay. So um, I'll, I'll give you something, something relating to the previous question where I had as far as my plan not being done or I was never offered a plan or I was offered a plan and it was, and it was done once and that's it, is 
it's people get the feeling and it's it's they don't get the feeling this is what happens is they say whenever they walk into their bank for example or 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 an advisor or whatever they seem to have a new advisor every every year so there's there's someone coming in and then a year later you know they have to explain their whole story all over again to somebody new and then 18 months after that um they're uh, they're, they're they're speaking to someone new again and um and so they're saying why does that happen and imagine that again you're trying to establish a relationship with someone and you want somebody to get to know your situation and they you know they they do recommendations and then you have somebody completely new without any you know notice that somebody is replacing and so and so that that's quite uncomfortable for people and and people have sort of uh, the question that people ask their bankers is always well how long am i gonna you know how long are you gonna be here when right. when you're my financial plan. So that's a that's a concern that people have. It's more of a concern than than a question. Uh, but the and the reason for that is well, there's let's there's there's it's a revolving door when it comes to the bank. You, you'll you'll notice that with your bank managers, the branch managers as well. You'll notice that with your banker who does your mortgage and your bank accounts and stuff like that. You'll notice that with your financial planners. Uh, at these at, at bank institutions, let's say, and so that's just uh, that's that's the landscape. Um, if, if people are, you know, people want to advance, let's say in their careers and, um, you may be dealing with somebody, I think a financial planner, a good financial planner, that's what they want to do for life. And that's what they've devoted themselves to. And, um, so you'll rarely see financial planners in a branch continue being at that one particular branch or for that bank, for example, or in that role for a very long time. And that's just something that's out there and there's nothing we can do about that. There's nothing. So, I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. You just don't go to a bank financial planner, right? I mean, mm -hmm. uh, but people have no, some people find that they have no choice or they don't have the resources or they don't have the, you know, somebody to refer them to someone that, that is not in the bank, for example. But that's a difficult, that's a difficult situation. That's just the way the landscape is unfortunately right so you're saying you want someone that where this they're a financial planner and this is their career and this is what they do you know like in your yeah. case you've been in this for for decades at this point right and so you have that experience you know the different types of clients with different types of you know temperaments and things like and different goals mm -hmm. and how to plan in this situation how to plan in that situation so um you know whether someone is whether you're someone's financial planner or another kind of financial planner you want someone that's in it kind of for the long haul and has that years and years you know ideally you know decades of experience like in your case yeah. as opposed to someone where okay i work at the bank and this is just a part of my career track where okay i'm going to spend a year being a financial advisor and then if all goes well i'll get promoted to this other position and they kind of you know they're climbing the corporate ladder and so mm -hmm. this financial planning advising is just kind of like a stepping stone right so you don't want someone right. where this is just like a little stepping stone instead right. you want them to be devoted to it where they are a specialist this is what they do uh, and obviously that person is going to give you a much higher quality answers because they've seen so many more scenarios and right, they, they right. know what to do in these different cases as opposed to someone that's just i remember you mentioning this before our previous interview where a lot of times you know you get these junior people that are kind of going in there um, mm -hmm. like unless your net worth is really really high you're going to get that sort of junior person that's going to just quickly create a little plan for you which they say is free but then they 
they just sell you mutual funds in the back end and charge you a lot for that. Uh, and so it's like, do you want someone junior that's just there to really sell you product, or do you want someone that is fully, you know, devoted to the profession, fully devoted to the craft, and this is what they do? Um, Correct. So yeah, I, I think that's a really good. Um, that's a really good sort of something people should consider, uh, you know, yeah. because the allure of a free financial plan <laughs> at a bank is is great. Uh, mm-hmm. But then, you know, we can, we've talked before about how, well, you can't really even call what they produce a financial plan because mm-hmm. if they can create a financial plan for you in like 15 minutes or like uh, or if they're calling it a financial plan and this is based on like a 15-minute meeting, let's say, that I mean, that's right. not a financial plan. I mean, there's, right, it's, right. it's way more, comp- it has to be way more comprehensive than that right. to actually get the right answers. Yeah, and what happens also um, occasionally is you you may go through the financial planning process and it'll take more than 15 minutes, might even take two appointments and, and what have you. But the um, you know what? The purpose of a financial plan in the bank's point of view, okay, is let's create this financial plan so we can, you know, bring in the money and consolidate the money from other institutions where, you know, it's likely most institutions won't even offer you a financial plan or they'll give you a 15 minute financial plan, but others may, and, and see, you no, know, there are some people that are even better, more, better, more, more devoted. will take the time and create a financial plan for you and spend an hour or two or three or two meetings or even three meetings to go through the process. But the problem is, so it, it's not the advisor, but at that point, once the money is in, there's no incentive for them to, review your financial plan and to follow up on the financial plan, all you'll, all they'll do at that point is in the future is to contact you when it's RSP season. So you can get your contribution in because they have objectives when it comes to RSPs, especially during, you know, obviously January and February, but they sort of let the plan go. And you know what? I'm not going to blame the advisors. I'm going to blame the managers and the management that is breathing down their neck every day, asking them how many mutual funds they've sold today. Not how many did you do last quarter or last month or whatever. What did you do this morning? And then your manager is going to call you back in the afternoon and says, what did you do this afternoon? You had three appointments. You know, how much did you sell? You didn't sell. Why? So there's a pressure. So it's not the individual behind the desk. It's the philosophy and the business model of, of, of these institutions. So, you know, you can't blame your banker. It's if there's if there's blame to be laid, it's the it's the bank, you know, and where does that come from? It's the shareholders, right, who want more profit. So they're saying, just bring the money in, forget about the planning. It's not doing anything for us. So that's pretty much what uh, mm-hmm. that's landscape again, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, and just to give uh, listeners and viewers some context, so John he spent years in that industry working for different banks as well, and I mean now he's of his own you know financial planner and so he did have sort of that first-hand experience of of uh of experiencing sort of that that pressure and the focus is to sell the products as opposed to actually provide a comprehensive financial plan so he's not just uh you know saying something he's read i mean he's he spent years in that system basically and then got got upset about the flaws that he's seen in it uh and but, yeah to get around the system a little bit and i'll explain that right when i first started in the mid 90s um, I was for, I, I basically, in, in my banking career, I was for two large banks, two of the big banks in Canada. And in, my, in the first one, I was doing financial planning and I was recommending products that the bank didn't appreciate that I was recommending, all right? So when I was doing my, I was doing financial planning with whatever software we had at the time, 20 years ago, 
that's when software started coming out when it, uh, for financial planning. Um, so I would do a plan, but then the products that I would recommend to implement the plan were not the products that the bank wanted me to implement. So in my first institution, um, I was told, hey, you know, we've caught on, stop doing that and recommend these funds, which are more expensive. And I basically said, uh-uh, and I went to my next bank, uh, the second bank that I started working with in, in, in the early 2000s, okay? And then for five years, I was able to do what I wanted to do as, with respect to product. And then that bank sort of caught on to what's going on in the industry, and they said, uh-uh, don't recommend these products. Uh, recommend these funds that charge anywhere between two and two and a half percent, packaged mutual funds and stuff like that, managed mutual funds, they call them. And so when that happened, I said, uh, uh-uh. So I moved up to the private banking division of the bank where there wasn't any mutual funds to be sold. So I was able to escape that that sell uh, mentality, um, and I was devoting a lot of time to financial plans. Um, and, but that wasn't in the model of what uh, you know the bank was was uh, was promoting to their financial planners. So that's why I decided to leave. And then uh, anyhow, and then so it's been a little over five years now that I've been on my own. But so yes, all that to say, yes, I've had that experience. But when I was at the private banking level over the past between 2008 and 2015, um, I was getting feedback from the bankers at the branches, right? Because they were referring business to me um, as a private banker. We would meet with million dollars clients and stuff like that. So they would transfer the relationship from the branch to the private bank, but I would always get their feedback as to what's going on in the landscape and the way things have changed over the past 10 years, the pressure is so much more than it was, you know, 20 years ago. It's incredible. And another thing you'll typically see in a bank environment is lots of burnouts. A uh, lot, and, and that's one reason why you're always seeing a revolving door from people going from one post to another is because of all that pressure that is never really appreciated by clients. But it's incredible the pressure that people have to go through, or that people do go through in in that environment. Mm -hmm. so business, it's all about money. Let's face it; it's all about you know what have you done for me lately, and how much money have you brought in, and stuff like that. Which is not anyhow. It's not. Uh, I think the best way to help people, you know, with their money, which is very important. Mm -hmm. I can see it being tough for people trying to get started in that industry because, I mean, I, I know one, uh, like I have a friend, for example, who is, you know, they they wanted to be financial analyst, right? They want, so they, or like someone wants to be a financial planner. They want to do the analysis. They want to do all that. They want to do research on sort of a, an optimum investments and financial plans. But then when they're just starting their career, they could be, okay, they're like, well, a bank, financial advisor at a bank, that sounds like a good way to get my foot in the door. And so mm -hmm. they want to do all this sort of analysis and planning and tax optimization, but then they get there and it's like, well, actually most of your job is selling, right? And it's like, well, I don't, I didn't sign up to be a salesperson, right? And, but, but they're sort of forced into that mold because the bank needs to make money, right? Yeah, most of there's, no, you're wrong, Cornell. Everything is about selling. <laughs> but really, that's all it is. Plug in. Look, I was at the point where the bank had hired a, a financial planner only to do financial plans. So all the other frontline financial planners were there for one reason, bring assets in. That's all. And so they would, you know, again, 
sweet talk the client and what have you. And then the relationship would go to an internal planner who would be inundated with financial plans that they didn't have too much time to do. And then again, like I said, once the plan is done, the first plan is done, the client has transferred all their assets uh, to our institution, the plan is out the window and we just sell. That's very interesting. So instead of having this team of specialists that do financial plans, instead it's really a team of salespeople from what you saw. And then there's there's like a person on the back end that supports multiple people uh, and they're just there to crank out these really quick I would argue, you know, rushed financial plans just right. so that they can kind of have a check mark that, okay, uh, so the person can feel like, okay, there's been some, you know, there's been some planning done for me and it's some, mm. it's custom. And so that's good enough for me to hand over my assets. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that that's wild. Yeah. So you, you'd see this, that's very, very interesting how just migrating it to where it's actually majority of it is salespeople mm-hmm. as opposed to actual financial planners. Yeah. That's all it is, Cornel. Hmm. That's all. That's interesting. Very interesting. So anyone a- anyone coming into the industry and you know they're all fresh with ideas and what have you. This is what is facing you if you decide to go into the banking side of the business. Let's say that's all it is. Mm-hmm. It's important, but that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. The, the friend of mine mentioned. I mean, that's that's why he left that position because he he didn't want to be. He never signed up to be a salesperson in the first place. Mm-hmm. He wanted to do the analysis, the financial planning, all that. But right. then that's what the job is, right? And it's yep, a bit, it's a right. bit of an right. illusion, right? Because uh, it's called financial mm-hmm. advisor. So you think you're advising people with finances, but really it's more mm-hmm. like salesperson. But if they call them salespeople, no one would <laughs> want a meeting with them. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. You'd think you'd be spending some time when you're not facing clients and you know we have annual meetings or, or we had quarterly meetings and sometimes it would be off-site and we'd go for a couple of years a couple of days somewhere for example um and you'd think you'd think it would be for let's find out the latest uh, tax rules or the latest uh, advances in software that we can or whatever something to be able to do our job it's nothing like that it's how okay uh, the branch is not referring enough clients to us what do we do mm-hmm. uh, these it, are the topics, it's a sales right? marketing meeting uh, not, not a you know, how to optimize your taxes, uh, you know, that's, that's all it is. Yeah. They, they won't spend an hour, you know, hiring someone to come do a one hour seminar on the latest uh, income tax rules for business owners. It's all about, you know, sales and, and why isn't this working and what are you doing in your branches that are bringing in more business? And, and, and so show me what you're doing and how do you, you know, what are your sales tactics? That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that seems to be for people that are, let's say, have like small to mid-sized portfolios. But if someone's, let's say, like a million dollar plus portfolio, is that kind of, my understanding is that's where they get some better service, like they get a person designated because now, you know, they have they have much bigger portfolio. But then yes. I imagine the fees you pay are still really, really high as a percentage of that portfolio. Is that fair? Well, you know what? Yeah, the fees that you, so you, let's say million dollar portfolio, right? The You will get... You will get better um, better solutions for you, and you will get more analysis for you. Um, on the other hand, if you're in the brand, if you're in branch land, okay, and there are, I'll tell you, there are plenty of million dollar portfolios in the branches, and and they're still being invested in mutual funds, which charge you again insane insane fees. Um, and, and those relationships are still in the branch because the client hasn't really 
thought that there could be better solutions or, or they don't know exactly what you're paying. And so some of those solutions are being held by the financial planners in the branches because they want to keep on to their big, you know, big clients. It's, a big, it, it's a big, it's a cash cow for them, basically. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and so a branch manager doesn't want to lose that client because their revenue is going to go down the following year. So they might be reluctant to refer that client to the next level, let's say. But, but, but another thing is also, Whenever anyone is dealing in a in a bank, all right, they have even if you reach the highest level, all right, where you're dealing with a a, a financial advisor that only has million dollar clients and stuff like that. Well, they'll they'll still recommend to you solutions that are expensive, and they are solutions that are meant to keep the advisor off of managing money and keep the advisors focus on getting new clients. Hmm. So, and so I'm not saying that the solutions are wrong. There are good solutions out there, but they're still expensive because they're still, the bottom line is the bank still wants to sell its own product. And so there are many different solutions for, for strategies, Cornell. Um, and some might be individual stocks or individual bonds. And you might find a stock broker that does these individual uh, securities, but they're, very, very few right now because the bank has gone towards the model of forget about managing money. Let's focus on putting people in managed products that are out there that are being managed in the background and you focus on bringing in more clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from a business perspective, I mean, I see why they would do something like that. So it's all about yeah. automating things and doing things, having these processes and doing things sort of in bulk so that the human capital, which is like the really expensive part, like to you know actually have employees, they're mm -hmm. forced on doing things, or they're they, they want them to be focused on doing things that bring in the money because that can't be automated in that way, right? Like you can't exactly. you can't have a AI, you know, talking to a, a, you know talking to a person trying to get their business that that won't right. work very right. well. So they that's get the right. people that's to right. do the selling because that's. Yeah. You, you can't just you know you can't just automate that fully but anything yeah. that can be at least somewhat automated uh, and so like you said so they kind of put you in these automation i guess buckets right so that the advisors right, right. can do their selling very interesting yeah. it's interesting the kind of inter i mean i get why i do it as a business but i mean it's good for us i mean i'm glad you have that insider knowledge so we kind of know someone that hasn't worked at a bank knows how things kind of work and so and what the reasons are yeah. and what the reasons are yeah That's and it makes a lot right. of sense yeah are there any other um sort of you know, top questions that you were getting yeah. that you'd like to address? Yeah. One point, and I'll see the last question, is um, I'll typically get on the first phone call that I have with with someone. So example, um, someone heard the show and they decided to call me or they decided to reach out and to have a conversation about them. They have concerns and they have, you know, whatever. They reach out. And the question that, they, that, that comes up from them is, like, I'd really like to know how to maximize, you know, the investments that I have. And uh, like, what's the best type of investment I should have in my RSP? What's, you know, what's, what's good, what, what kind of investment would you recommend for, for my TFSA, for example? And this is his, the type of advice that people have been getting in the past, and this is why they come up with these questions to me right away, is based, they've asked these questions in the past, and the answers that they've received are, you know what, you should do this particular investment or that mutual fund or this uh, whatever, any kind of, whatever product is recommended at the beginning of a conversation is not right. So um, what 
the question, what's the best investment that I should have for my RSP? That, that's, the, that's the question that should be asked at the end of the process. And people usually have it or have that question at the beginning of the financial planning process because that's what they've been, that's what they've been sort of, um, I won't say brainwashed, but that's what they've been shown by the industry that, you know, you, ha- you want to retire, you need to buy this product where the actual buying the product is the last question. Before I can tell you what investment is best for your TFSA, I need to know what your goals are. I need to know, um, you know, what kind of savings do you have already? How much money you make? What's your tolerance for the ups and downs? Before any recommendation can be made as to what product I should have, a whole hours of analysis needs to be done and hours of conversation needs to be had before I say, all right, let's purchase $10,000 of this vehicle that'll, you know, sort of get you to your retirement. And the analogy that I use is it's like going to a doctor, your family doctor, or a new doctor, let's say, all right, because they're coming to me as a new financial planner. Let's say they're going, someone's going to a new doctor and they tell them, I have a pain in my back and the doctor pulls out his prescription pad and says, you know what, for pain in back, this is the medication that I recommend, which is, I mean, if a doctor does that, that's malpractice, right? So it's malpractice also, I think, for an advisor, when you walk into a planner's office and in 15 minutes you're getting a product recommendation, there's a big red flag. And I, this was a, a conversation that I had last night, actually, with a client. Um, who's, and this client is, is new to the investment life, let's say, all right? Or this, they, they started working a couple of years ago, now they're starting to save money. And the initial conversation that they had with their banker was, in 15 minutes, I was being told what product to sell, to buy. And so that's just, you know, so and that's why people sort of feel that that's a question that should be answered right away is because they've always had it answered before, and that shouldn't be the case. It's a long process to go through, you know, figuring out what product you need to buy into your RSP. Um, and it's so, so it shouldn't be your first question. That should be the last point that, is brought up. So the steps should be, let's figure out, first of all, let's see what your goals are. Next, let's see what you've done so far. And then let's print out a map that gets you from where you are today with what you've done so far to where you want to be in the future. And let's make sure that that map is realistic and that your goals are realistic. So once we figure that out, and, and generally, at the end, it comes down to two questions for a lot of people, not for everyone, but for a lot of people, it comes down to how much do I need to save every year and what rate of, rate of, what rate of return do I need to earn to get to my goals? And once we've analyzed that and once we've seen if that's realistic or not, then we say, all right, you need to save $5,000 a year and you need to earn 6%. So you know what? Here's the best way to do it with these vehicles, with these products. Mm-hmm. Forget the vehicle for now. Let's figure out where we need to go, and then we'll figure out whether we should take a train or a car or a bus. Let let the vehicle, let the investment, the actual investment, be the last thing that you talk about with your financial planner. Mm-hmm. So, and it's usually, like I said, it's usually the first question that people have, and that's wrong. Um, and it's not wrong again, not because this is how people have been conditioned. Uh, and so it's no one's fault that they're asking these questions at, at the wrong time. This is how it's this is how it's been ingrained in people's minds. Uh, so to make sure I understand, would that, just and to give some maybe some examples, would that be someone saying, let's say, oh well, 
for my TFSA, what ETFs should I have in my TFSA? And then just yeah. expecting like a ticker symbol, basically. But then you're right. saying, well, okay, hold on. <laughs> maybe you... Maybe, are... maybe ETFs are not even good for you. Right. Maybe need to take any risk maybe there's other you know so let's not go into the product. right right like maybe you're in a high income bracket and so maybe rsps are a better fit for your situation or maybe right. you're just starting off and you're saving for a down payment on a house that you right. want to buy fairly soon and so maybe right. you want to use your tfsa as a form of down payment and in which case you shouldn't be investing in stock etfs because of the volatility you should be you know doing a more safer approach with your tfsa uh, yep. like is, is that what you're what you're talking about something like that Absolutely. right yeah yeah Absolutely. And, and, you know, you bring up a question which is important, and it will be very important in the next couple of months as RSP comes up. It's funny, you bring certain things up, Cornell, which lead me to other things. Uh, but, but, no, seriously, this is something, let's get down to real advice here for a second. Um, in, in, most ca- in many cases, I'll say even in most cases, RSPs are a good thing for Canadians, all right? Not in every case, though. And I'll give you an example, because you brought up, you know, RSPs and TFSAs, there was a client that I was speaking with again yesterday and um, they were, they, they presented themselves, well, we had our initial conversation, right? And so with the initial conversation is, is basically a, let's get to know each other a little bit. And at the end of that conversation, I usually ask people to fill out a certain form that I have, which goes over all the different aspects of financial planning. And then we have another call to go over the answers, right? And one question that I ask as part of retirement planning um, is, um, do you have a pension plan at work? And when I, whenever I see the answer is yes, and if I see us, you know, a couple that have pension plans, red flags go up to me right away when it comes to RRSPs, because in many cases where people have pension plans or there's business owners, for example, RSPs may not be the best solution for you. And I explain why. There, I mean, the, the answer could be different again, based on the dynamics, the work, the family, and what have you. Um, but RSPs are not always the best solution for people. And when people hear that, they see, like, they've never heard that before. Right. And, and reason, the reason being is that there's like, most people get their advice from their financial institution. And they're out there to sell RSPs in January and February. And the advisors have goals. So they're not even going to analyze to figure out if you need RSPs or not, or if they're the best you know, tool for you. Um, and so let's just say we, I'm getting a little more practical now and telling people that maybe RSPs might not be the best solution for you. Um, and so there's, you see, there's, a, there, there's an answer that I can give where I'm not talking about product. But I'm talking about a concept or a process of how to build wealth. And so that I can, I can sort of figure out somewhat quickly if this is a good idea or not. So if somebody's telling me, yeah, I want to save up for a house that I'm going to buy next year. And what ETFs do you recommend to me? Right away, I can say, uh-uh, forget about ETFs. Put it in a GIC because anything can happen over the, mar- you know, over the next year in the market. So there are certain answers that can be dealt with quickly. But and, and one of them, one of them uh, is whether I think RSPs are a good idea or not, or whether we need to make sure or we need to analyze if RSPs are a good idea or not. So that may sound a little different to people. That's that's the reality of things, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons I really like you know fee for service financial planners like yourself, where 
you're looking at their situation and figuring out if it's the right thing for them. And because because you don't sell investment products, you don't have that monetary incentive to say, oh, yes, yes, of course, RSP season's coming up. You know, put in as much as you possibly can. Maybe even take an RSP loan, you know, all of that kind of thing. You don't have that financial, you, you and other true fee-for-service financial problems don't have that monetary incentive. Whereas if you look at some of these, well, I mean, we're going to see so many ads in the you know in the coming months, right? When the RRSP season comes up, like you said, they're not sitting down with you saying, "Does this RRSP actually make sense?" It's more, "Hey guys, the marketing team says RRSP season is coming, so we're doing a huge push for RRSPs." Here are your quotas. I want this yep. much sold. <laughs> right on. And, you this. Yeah. Right? and you go yeah. and you go push RRSPs. And here's mm-hmm. the line, here's the things you need to say why this is a good idea. And you push this to your right. And so when we start getting these calls and we start seeing these ads, you know, almost making you feel like you're irresponsible if you're not, <laughs> you know, putting my Correct. RSPs. But it's Correct. like, hey, what if in your particular situation that actually isn't the optimum solution for you? Yep. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. still, I'm sure it's still better than, you know, Going out buying granite countertops when you have zero investment, <laughs> you know. But no, it is. Sometimes it's not either. You're not going to be the old. You're not going to be the richest person in the retirement right. home. <laughs> this is why you see. But, but what you just said now is 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 somehow it's ingrained in us that we have to keep saving and saving and saving. And I'm here to say spend 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 you know like don't be too concerned but as long as you know what the consequences are right and, and if we see that the consequences are good for spending then go ahead and spend man you know you're not going to take it with you um and and maybe maybe you know instead of retiring at 55 say retire at 58 uh, and then spend a little bit more while you're working you know what i'm saying so but so i'm there to offer sort of like a balance or at least i'm not going to recommend to anyone what they should do I'm going to show them the consequences of what they do. Right. So you kind of say, here's the sort of you know menu, essentially, right? Exactly. And the different and the- life choices you can make now based on your situation. Right. And then what choose what's options? right for you. Are you okay retiring a bit later, but being able to take more vacations, for example, or getting that exactly. counter or whatever the case is? Or exactly. are you just really trying to hit retirement as soon as humanly possible <laughs> and you're willing <laughs> to you know, sacrifice that vacation or whatever every year Correct. to get there? So it's yeah, it's a very kind of custom thing. Um, but yeah, no, I, I like... Um, yeah, I, I like how you mentioned that. Yeah, because we are going to be seeing so many of these RSPCs and ads. Uh, mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, it is a prudent thing to do in a lot of situations. But it's, in many cases, in many cases, that is the right thing to do. So we're not saying RSP season is bad and you shouldn't put money in RSP. But what we're saying is, it might be different for you depending on your situation. So you don't just want to put blinders on and saying RRSP is the only way to go in January exactly. <laughs> or whatever. You know, yeah, no, the, yeah. the, the, big, the big flag you should have if you're an investor and and you know RSP coming RSP since coming around is do I have a pension? Yes. How good is my pension? Is it a strong pension? Yes. Uh, and will I be with this company or with this institution or am I going to be working for the federal government for a long time? Yes. If that's the case. I, got, I have clients that only have, you know, $40,000 in their RSPs and they're in their mid-50s, and that's not a bad thing because they have their pension plans, and, and RSPs will work in a negative way in the future if you have other sources of income for your retirement. So you shouldn't only put RSPs only for the immediate tax deduction. I have clients that came to me several years ago, and now they're in their early 70s, and they're withdrawing like a, a, a 
a chunk of change from their RSPs because they have to, and they don't need the money to live. They have other sources of income. And so half of the RSP withdrawals that they're forced to make is going to the government, right, for taxes. And right. now they're saying, hell did I do? You know, why, why, why did I do RSPs for so many years? I, I ran a successful business. I have savings in my business, and I also have half a million dollars in RSPs, which was the worst thing they could have done. Right, right, yeah, yeah. This is getting a bit more kind of advanced into like tax yeah, laws and stuff. Yeah, so this may this <laughs> yeah, may not be uh, for him, but but kind of the the gist of it at a high level is that you know if if you do have let's say good pensions and you have most of your retirement savings in your RSPs because there are minimum withdrawals that you do have to start uh, making out of your RSP eventually, um, then that can actually force you to be in a much higher tax bracket than you want to be. Correct. Even Correct. even higher than when you were working potentially, right? Depending uh, depending on, on, on your situation. So uh, yeah, so this is kind of, yeah, so this is all sort of the, the main point is that it you do have to factor in these other things and not just blindly you know, put money into an RSP because Correct. that's what the ad says, or that's mm-hmm. or, or because it's RSP season, which is like an invented thing anyway. <laughs> Just you know, by the companies to sell RSPs because really you should be if you if RSP is the right fit for you, then you should be contributing to that year round a portion of every paycheck as opposed to Correct. just rushing at the very end. You know, right yeah. in RSP season, but this is like a you know a way that. Um, I would say the financial institution it, it gives them like an excuse to reach out to you with their marketing and be like, hey, RSP season, right? But it's 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 yeah. a totally like made up thing, right? It's just it's yeah. a it's a it creates kind of the sense of urgency for people to start that's investing, right. and that's very effective, you know, in a sales marketing world. And so that's why it's done. Um, yeah. And everybody's and everybody's doing it, so I should be doing it yeah. too, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. If you're if you're not doing it as a bank and your competitors are, I mean, they're going to be reaping the rewards of that, and they're going to people will wonder, well, why isn't my bank recommending? Exactly. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's very uh, yeah. Now I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because you're right. RSP uh, season is uh, coming up uh, in several months, and so it's good to have our. Maybe maybe we'll get into a show on that uh, during January. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, just just to not sort of take that blanket advice of go do this because that's what I think we're supposed to do and that's what right, everyone's right. talking about now. Maybe that's yeah. not the best fit, yeah. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So that, that, that's great, John. So, so, I mean, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing these top questions that you've been getting and uh, and I hope it was it was useful for everyone and, and thanks for sharing your expertise, uh, your background as well in the banking industry. It's always fun to hear these, you know, these stories that, these things that happen sort of in the back rooms that the clients don't see, uh, which are there to make, the bank money, but not necessarily the, you know, the client, the money, right? So it's, it's always interesting to get that insider look from you. Um, so yeah, so, so thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Cornell. And, uh, it's always a pleasure and we always sort of go off tangent sometimes, but that's just the, the normality of our conversation, right? So <laughs> that's right. Hopefully it's always, hopefully a great time. Enjoyed it. it's always a great time. And I hope, yeah, I hope people got out and got something out of it. That, that sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah. And I mean, feel free, anybody listening, watching, if, if there are certain, uh, areas you would like covered or if you would like us to elaborate on on any particular segment or if something wasn't clear or if you don't didn't appreciate some tangent or whatever let me know <laughs> and we'll you know we'll try to tweak the questions and the content and you know in such a way so that you're you're getting the most out of it and now we're focusing on the things that that you want to be uh, focusing on as well so uh so so thanks again john and, and yeah we'll talk soon you bet Colonel. thanks right. to you take care bye All right, I hope you enjoyed the interview with John. Don't forget that you can ask him your own questions one-on-one privately for free for 30 minutes by going over to buildwealthcanada.ca slash John. That's buildwealthcanada.ca 
slash john it's a great way to get some quality answers that are custom and specific to your situation so i definitely suggest you give that a shot if there is something specific to yourself that you would like to know don't forget to get your credit score checked for free over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash score. So just S-C-O-R-E. Your credit score can be the difference between getting approved for a loan and getting the lowest possible rate. And even if you aren't planning on taking out any loans, you really should check your credit score periodically just to make sure that nobody has gained unauthorized access to any of your financial accounts and is now working havoc on your credit score. So you can get the full report for free by going to buildwealth.ca canada.ca slash score and that will take you directly to Borowell where you can enter the information and get all of that for free. All right, so I hope you enjoy that. I found it really helpful and a lot easier to do than all the other methods I've tried in the past when it comes to checking my credit score. Also, don't forget to get your free guide on the top ETFs in Canada if you haven't got it already where I go into detail on what I invest in and why. And to get that, just sign up for a free savings account with the bank that I use, which is EQ Bank, where they have one of the highest interest rates that I've been able to find in Canada, sometimes even more than double what the other banks are offering, especially the major banks from what I've seen. Plus, you get free unlimited Interact e-transfers, which is super convenient for sending money and unlimited transactions with no fees. So to get the guide, just sign up for EQ Savings Plus account using the link Build Wealth Canada dot ca slash eq that's buildwealthcanada.ca slash the letter e and the letter q then send me any confirmation email that you get from them over to bonus at buildwealthcanada.ca and i'll email you the full guide all right so thanks again for supporting the show in that way and for tuning in and have a great week Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca. 